Our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of 2 Peter, the first chapter, verses 5 through 7. God's word reads, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Louis Zamperini was an American Olympic long distance runner. In the 1936 Olympics, he did not win the gold medal or anything like that in Berlin, but he did set a record for the, the, the fastest mile time. At that time, it was a little bit over four minutes. Imagine running a mile in four minutes. I don't know if I could do it in 14, but Louis Zamperini did it in four minutes. In fact, the, if you don't know about uh, Olympic running, or if you don't measure things in meters like any of us in America do, 5,000 meter race, just to get your mind around this, is a three mile grueling sprint. It is a sprint for three miles, and Louis Zamperini is this Olympic uh, runner for the American team, and he set such a great time that he was an odds-on favorite in the 1940 Olympics. But the world had different plans. You see, because there was no 1940 Olympics, because World War II was raging throughout Europe, and so the Olympics was canceled. And that's when Louis Zamperini enlisted into the United States Air Force. He didn't wait until Pearl Harbor uh, in, in December, he enlisted in September of that year into the United States Air Force. The amazing thing about Louis Zamperini is what he wound up facing in the Air Force and in World War II completely overshadow his Olympic accolades, right? Many of you might know the story of Louis Zamperini, but if you don't, I want to tell you about it for a second here. In 1943, Louis Zamperini was on a, uh, an air mission on a plane that was well known for being an, uh, just a lemon. Everything was always wrong with it. Sure enough, if something could go wrong, it would go wrong with this plane. And sure enough, that one day that he was on this mission with 11 other brothers of his going to fight and battle, his plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. Eight out of the 11 people with him died. He was one of the three survivors. And it was there that for 47 days, Louis Zamperini and the two other men were out on the open ocean. And while they were on the ocean for 47 days, all they had to eat were raw fish, raw birds that came onto their raft. All the while, they are 
only able to drink rain water because you cannot drink salt water. On top of that, constantly there are sharks trying to attack their boat and they're having to fend off the sharks. And if, as if that wasn't enough, every now and then a Japanese bomber would come by and try to shoot at them. And that's how they lived for 47 days out on the open sea. And guess what? They finally landed on the Marshall Islands. And sure enough, yay, they're on land, right? No. If you know the story of Louis Zamperini, that's, that's when he became a prisoner of war. Because as soon as he landed on the Marshall Islands, he became a prisoner of the Japanese forces. And that's where he would spend the next two years of his life being tormented, tortured, in agonizing pain, being dehumanized. And guess what? As a prized American Olympian athlete, he was treated worse than anyone else on the camp. Constantly being brought before all of the prisoners of war and, and paraded as this pariah. Louis Zamperini did not die in that camp. His story went on for another, I don't know how many years, he died in the year 2014. But the amazing thing was, everyone back at home had assumed he had died. Louis Zamperini got home and lived the rest of his life with all of that baggage that he went through in World War II. Can you imagine the endurance that Louis Zamperini must have had? Can you imagine the persistence? Can you imagine the fortitude that it would take to not only be an Olympic athlete, let's just put that aside, right? We know what they go through. We know what they push themselves to. Just put that aside. But to live on the water for 47 days. Not only that, to become a prisoner of war. And not only that, but to live the rest of his life and try to move on and put that behind him. Imagine the tenacity. Imagine the perseverance that he must have had. The past few weeks, we've been engaging in a study Kyle's been leading us called Faith Plus, a study of what needs to be added to our faith. And our text has been 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. On Sunday mornings, we've been talking about all these attributes that we need to be actively adding to our faith because faith is this fundamental we know it is this foundational, this essential part of our faith in our, in our walk with Christ, right? Faith is the foundation, and then the rest of it builds the rest of the house. And so we've been learning each and every week, guess what? Faith is not enough. Faith is simply the beginning of our walk with Christ. And we've been searching each week to talk about a different thing that we must add to that foundational faith. If you're not already there, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 7, our text. But also for this very reason, be 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And so each week we've been breaking down a different word, and Kyle's been doing this word study. And our word this week is perseverance. I know some of your translations might use the word steadfastness, but it's this idea of persevering, being strong, being steadfast in the midst of chaos. As I was studying for this lesson, I've got to be honest, I, I struggled a, a little bit. Because with each one of these words, you, you, you can add uh, uh, love, you can add brotherly kindness, you can add knowledge, you can add self-control through good things in life, right? You can add those things by reading your Bible. You can add those things by uh, attending worship services. You can add those things by going to Bible class or, or doing acts of service or different things that you can do that are positive in life, right? The hard thing about our word this morning is perseverance can only be added through trial. The hard part about perseverance is the only way that we can get perseverance in our life is through tribulation. Perseverance isn't a difficult topic because it's some estranged idea or there's not a lot to say about it or there's not much in the Bible to say. The Bible is filled with stories of perseverance. What makes perseverance hard is the fact that that you only get it through adversity. The only way to have perseverance in our life is to make it to the other side of some significant struggle that we have conquered or gone through. Webster defines perseverance as the continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. And so when Peter tells Christians here in 2 Peter chapter 1 that you must add perseverance, in essence, he is saying you must experience trial. He's saying you must experience adversity in your life. You must experience tribulation. And that's what makes this part of the Christian graces so hard. It is the only attribute attained through and only through personal trial and pain. But guess what? It doesn't end there. He's not saying you have to have trials. He's saying you have to make it to the other side of those trials to be a Christian. To be a Christian, you must add perseverance. When he says perseverance, he's saying you must be strong enough to make it to the other side. But how do we do that? How do we make it to the other side of, of all of this sickness and pain and sorrow and suffering and death and sin and, and temptation and disappointment that we face every single day? How are we supposed to add perseverance when sometimes all that we know is adversity? Sure enough, as soon as we conquer this trial, here comes the next all throughout our life. When we look at the Bible from beginning to end, there, there are 
stories of, of God's faithful. There are events that we can look at in the, in the Word and, and see how every one of God's faithful were, were able to persevere through one circumstance or the other. If you go to the, back to the beginning of the Bible all the way through, if you were to go back to Noah, how about him persevering for a hundred years building that ark for a rain that had never come down on earth? You go to Abraham and him persevering and, and, and putting his son up on that altar, his only son, the promised son. You go to Joseph and all the things that he persevered, or Moses, or Joshua, or David, or Paul, or Jesus Christ himself, right? The Bible is, is filled with stories of perseverance. And those stories are no doubt powerful. Those events that we can look at are no doubt powerful. But today I don't want to look at one of those instances, I want to look at an instance that we might gloss over all the time. Like many others in his circumstance, these people remain nameless in the Bible. And if we don't give them the, the proper look and the proper recognition, I think we could be missing a great point. Just because they're nameless doesn't mean they're meaningless. And we find that time and time again in the Scriptures. Some of the figures that I believe we overlook the most in the Scriptures are the individuals that Jesus healed. Their stories, what they had gone through, what, what they had experienced, the trial and the tribulation and the adversity that they came on the other side of, those people we gloss over all the time. And it's rightfully so sometimes because we're giving Jesus the, the focus we're, we're, we're focusing on Jesus' power, on the amazing thing that Jesus does in the passage. And so it's easy for us to forget, to, to not think about the situation that these people are in before Jesus arrived. And so today I want to look at a story that we've read, I don't know how many times probably, and I want to look and talk about the years and years of pain, suffering, trial, adversity that this man had. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, having, after, stirring the, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Stop right there. Now, I've got to start off saying there's a lot to say about this text. There's a lot that we could go into. There's a lot of, of, of scholarly material and, and Bible study, in-depth study, that you have to go into when you look at this text, verses 1 through 4. The first one being, where did this actually happen? Is it Bethesda? Is it Bethsaida? Or is it Bethotha? 
And the scholars have different points to make based off those original manuscripts. On top of that, many of your translations do not even include verse 4. You have an English Standard Version, perhaps it is in the brackets, in the margin somewhere, New American Standard, the same way. And so there's another discussion of why that is the case, and that is the part about the angel going down at certain times and stirring up the water. Many of you are probably like, well, what is he talking about? That's not my Bible. Well, there's a reason for that, and we could talk about that another time. But both of those discussions are rooted in human error, in the dictation or the scribal additions later on in the text, not really what's important in the text. So I don't want to miss the forest for the trees this morning. I want to actually focus on what's happening in the text. Many people in this culture in this time believed in the healing properties of water. Perhaps they had heard the story of, of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. We don't really know. Perhaps something, evidently, something did miraculously happen at these pools of Bethesda. But what we do know is that there was a multitude of sick people that came to these pools. They were blind. They were lame. They were paralyzed. And they, and they came to these pools hoping to be healed. Many of your translations in verse 3 will probably call them in, invalids. Invalids. I want to just take a moment and, and, and think about that word. What is that word saying? You can pronounce it a different way and come up with the word invalid. These people in this society were invalid. It means they were not fully functioning human beings. They were not able to work for themselves. They were not able to provide for themselves. They were not able to do anything for themselves. They were simply invalid in this culture. And so often they were cast aside, they were marginalized, they were put to the side and, and not to be thought of or talked to or worried about. They all just hung out with each other. They were invalid. They were invalids. And that's the text that we have this morning. This multitude of these people. Before Jesus comes, they are not valid. What a hard word. What a hard description, is it not? To be known as invalid in this culture and in this society. But we know that's not the end of the story. The text continues, verse 5, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So here in this text, we find this man who, who was an invalid, who was invalid in society. 
for how long? How long was he in this state? How long had he been there? How long had he been having this infirmity in his life? The text says 38 years. For 38 years, this man was paralyzed or could not uh, walk or some sort of lameness based on the text. For 38 years, he had been marginalized. He had been relegated. He had been cast out of society. For 38 years, he had been hopeless. For 38 years, he had nothing to contribute to society. Nothing to hope for. Nothing to long for. Nothing to do. For 38 years. How, how, how long is 38 years? 38 years is a long time. Alright? Some of the older in, in our audience are saying, this kid don't have any idea. That's not a long time. But think about it being a long time as a crippled person. That's a long time. Just to get our heads around 38 years. 38 years ago was 1984. 1984. Just some facts about 1984. Reagan was president. The Cold War was raging. Wendy's Restaurant launched their Where's the Beef campaign. Gasoline was $1.13 a gallon. Tetris, the game Tetris was invented. Uh, Footloose and Ghostbusters were in theaters. Get this one. Alex Trebek began hosting Jeopardy in 1984. That's how long... 38 years is. This man had been an invalid longer than Jesus had been alive. This man had been an invalid since the calendar said B.C. Literally. This man had been an invalid the same amount of time about that the Israelites wandered throughout the wilderness in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 38 years. Can you imagine all the things that this man had witnessed? Can you imagine the, the, perhaps the mean things that had been said to him throughout his life? Can you imagine all the things that he heard or all the things that he felt or all the things that he went through in those 38 years? Can you imagine the pain of not being able to work? Not being able to contribute? Not being able to provide for yourself? Can you imagine the psychological torment that this man must have had for 38 years? How many times do you think he longed for death? But Jesus saw him. The text says Jesus saw him lying there. The text tells us that Jesus knew how long he had been in this condition. And so the one who is actually able to make him well walks up to him and says, Do you want to be made well? Can you imagine 
this lame man receiving that question? Can you imagine this man who had been in these types of torments for 38 years of his life, and here comes this man asking him, do you want to be made well? What do you think his response was, right? What, what do you think he was going to answer with? Can you imagine the, the excitement that he must have had? After 38 years of persevering, after 38 years of trials, of adversity, of tribulation, of anguish, of pain and suffering, 38 years, the one who can make him well answers this question. Ask this question. And after the man obviously, no doubt, says, I want to be made well, gone. Gone are his infirmities. Gone are all of, of, of the lameness and the cripple and all the past that he had been through, all of the trauma, all of the, the thoughts that plagued his mind, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the adversity. Gone. In an instant. The text says he immediately Immediately. He didn't rev up for it. He, he didn't, you know, think it through a little bit before I try to stand up. Immediately he stood up, took his bed, and walked. 38 years. And here he is, walking. This morning, there may be some of you who are thinking, I wonder why... I wonder why he chose this story to talk about perseverance. Surely there was something he could have said about Paul or, or about Moses or Abraham or some bigger figure in the Bible. Perhaps there's some better story to, to describe perseverance, but I chose this story for a very important reason. You might be thinking, Ben, all this man did to persevere was continue to live. Well, that's the thing about perseverance. I think we have the wrong idea about perseverance. I think a lot of us think about perseverance. We see Peter say, add perseverance to your life, and you start thinking, well, then I have to build myself into this super-Christian. This super-Christian that's able to be immovable. This Christian that is unbreakable, unbroken. This person who is, who is immune and exempt from any type of pain, any type of suffering, any type of trial, any type of adversity, because I have made myself just that strong. And we start to think about perseverance that way. But let me tell you what, if that's the way you're living your life, if that's the way... You are living your life, and when you face tribulation and you're trying to persevere, you're going to come miserably short. Sorry. Because the pain that we experience in this life, when it comes to the trials and the adversity and the tribulation that this life throws at us, some days all we can do is continue to live. 
Sometimes all we can do is continue to live one day at a time. Sometimes some of us feel like all we can do is put one foot in front of the other. Because that's just how hard this life is. A lot of times we are all as hopelessly hopeless as the invalid in this text. Lying down. Incapable of making ourselves well. Some of us are in need of someone to come up and to make it all better. And that person's Jesus. Guess what? If you're going to persevere in this life, if you're going to really persevere, the only way you do it is through the power of Christ. If you're going to persevere in this life and face the trials and the tribulations and the temptations that you come across, the only way you're going to do it is through Jesus. Definition of perseverance, remember, is the continued effort. Well, in the Christian life, perseverance is the continued effort to achieve heaven despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. That's why James would say in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that when you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 12 of James chapter 1, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's why Paul was saying in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. That's why Paul would say maybe the best text for today. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Not once does the Bible make us believe that following God is easy. Not once does it make us believe that Christians are supposed to be exempt from pain and suffering. In fact, it says, count it all joy when, not if, you experience trials. It says, we will be hated by all. It says, we glory in tribulation. Why? How can we possibly do this? How can we possibly persevere well, it's because of what we are persevering for. It's exactly what Brother Wayne sang about. We aren't persevering for a momentary relief. We are persevering for an everlasting one. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at the context of our passage for this series. I think it might help us understand why we are adding these things. 
verses 8 through 11, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do we add these things? Why do we persevere? Why do we add these things to our faith? Because Peter says, if these attributes are ours, we are not going to be barren. We are not going to be unfruitful. And we will not be blind. What we will do is we are going to make our calling and election sure. We are going to never stumble. And the best part, Peter says, we are going to be given an entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brethren, today, why do we persevere? How do we persevere? Heaven. Heaven is why we persevere. Heaven is why we count it all joy. Heaven is why we endure temptation. Heaven is why we do not lose heart. Heaven is why we endure to the end. Heaven is why we glory in tribulation. And heaven is why Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. This morning, I don't know what you're persevering through. Some of you I do. Some of you I know what you are persevering through because you've lost loved ones. Because you have an illness. Because you are thinking about those you have lost. But others of you, I don't know what pain you're going through. I don't know what you're having to persevere through. Perhaps coming to this building this morning was an act of perseverance for some of you. But I do know that all of us have to persevere. I do know that all of us are persevering through something. And this morning, I hope what helps you get through it is the thought of heaven. A place where Revelation 21 says there will be no more tears. No more sorrow. No more pain. For the former things that passed away. Are you going though? Are you going? Are you going to heaven this morning? Are all the trials and the adversities and the, and the tribulations of your life, are they leading to something? Are you persevering for a reason? to make it to the place we call heaven. Perhaps we can use the words that Christ used this morning. Do you want to be made well? The offer is yours as together we stand and sing for your encouragement.